is Tuesday, October 3rd, 2017, time for episode 28 of the Barnhart Podcast. For various logistical reasons, we missed doing a podcast last week, and as a result, the world went crazy. Could it be that between now and the triumph of the Immaculate Heart, it's the Barnhart Podcast that's keeping the world sane? <laughs> We're in trouble if it is. <laughs> yeah, we did get a few emails wondering, is Anne safe? Are you safe? Is everything okay? We haven't gotten a new podcast. Yeah, we're safe. We're fine. Um, I made a post uh, in writing on the website. I had a chance to go on pilgrimage and consult with some very important people. And I availed myself of that and had a had actually a very productive week. And but no Wi-Fi. And, you know, I could get a little bit of data signal just enough so that I could see emails and just lightly browse and, you know, check drudge and check the headlines. But um, obviously doing any sort of a, a podcast was just completely out of the question. No way I had enough signal to do that. And so, yeah, it just, you know, Super Nerd and I, if it, we'll do two a week if we can, but if it just doesn't work out, it doesn't work out. So, um, but glad to be back, but not, not glad about, you know, what has happened in the interim. Um, two big things relative to us and our conversation have happened. I mean, obviously the shooting and um, we're going to start We'll start with the shooting, but the other topic that we'll get into is, of course, the uh, the correction that uh, was sent to anti-Pope Bergoglio, and and there's a few things to say verbally about that as well. But I guess, Super Nerd, we should we should start with the shooting. Yes, in Las Vegas over this past weekend, a 64 year old professional gambler, so to speak, um, former former accountant, uh, real estate speculator, decided to open fire on a country music festival. And uh, at last check, there were over 50 people, I think 58 people dead, 500 injured, and yeah. um, just a big mess. Yeah, absolutely incredible. And beyond incredible, I mean, everybody, pretty much everybody is looking at this and just everybody across the board, even on, on all sides of the political spectrum, as, as awful as the political spectrum is right now, everybody's pretty much saying the same thing. And that is, this is damn peculiar. This is just, there is nothing, nothing about this guy that would have given any indication of any of this. Um, you know, and you know how the internet is today. I mean, if this guy had been hanging around shooting ranges in Nevada, if he'd been hanging around the various firearm schools and so forth out in the Nevada desert, man, all of these message boards would have been lit up. Um, and th there is just nothing on this guy. Um, and certainly nothing that points towards any of this. Now, there's there's a couple of things going around that I think have basically zero credibility. The first is ISIS tried to tried to claim responsibility for this. I, I don't see anything, guys. I don't see anything that would indicate that at all. And it's so funny because, you know, all the people who are constantly jumping on the false flag conspiracy theory bandwagon, like instantaneously, whenever anything happens, you know, when the, this, the sun goes behind a cloud, then it's, it's all some false flag conspiracy theory. Okay. You, you show them this, this fact that ISIS is trying to claim responsibility for this and that actually is someone trying to false flag something. Okay, this actually ISIS trying to claim responsibility for this. It looks almost certain that they're trying to false flag it. 
And the guys who are always yelling and screaming false flag are now saying, nah, uh, nah, uh, nah, which just proves that it's all just ideological. And it's, you know, all these conspiracy theory loons, they're just always constantly trying to force everything into their insaniac. A, you know, paranoid schizophrenic worldview where everything is the fault of the shape shifting lizard Jews and their holograms and their tractor beams, you know? And so, I, I, you know, everybody knows that I'm, I'm one of the voices at the forefront of, of trying to destroy Islam and exterminate it from the face of the earth. I really don't think that this guy was some sort of a Muslim convert or had any attachment to that whatsoever. In fact, every indication is, is that this was a guy, and um, this is kind of an interesting point, especially for, for this audience to hear. This is a guy that gave no indication of having any strong political beliefs one way or the other, and certainly had no religious uh, religious attachments or, or associations whatsoever. And it's it's strange for people like us to to hear something like that, because obviously religion and then as a subset of just, you know, social interaction and the social the social good politics obviously is a part of our lives, too. And, you know, for someone like me, it's it's a very, very big part of my life. Religion, of course, is just you know, with each passing day, it just gets to be more and more and more. And hopefully someday it will be completely all consuming. Um, and of course, politics is something that I've been commenting on here on this website, even when this was still my commodity brokerages website, I would put some political commentary up. Um, been doing this for, you know, goodness, 15, over 15 years now. It's just a, it's a big part of our lives. We're engaged people. We're thinking about these things. What we need to remind ourselves is that there's a hell of a lot of people in the world in, you know, contemporary American society, Western civilization, guys, they go through their lives and they just never really think about, care about, engage religion or politics. And, and we have to remember that and not only do these people exist who have no engagement with these things, there's a lot of them. I mean, you look at, for example, like um, who was it? You say, oh, Jay Leno. Jay Leno used to do the the jaywalk jaywalking um, sketches on the Tonight Show. They weren't sketches. He would take a camera out on some, you know, boardwalk or something in in Los Angeles, and he just randomly stop people and ask them questions about you know civics, um, geography, history, et cetera, et cetera. And it, it was it's always just stunning and depressing to see how little the average American knows about politics, <laughs> history, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and I mean, if you, if you were to do that with religion, I mean, at this point, th that, that could be something that someone could do on a trad Catholic channel is just go stand out on the street stop people, ask them, are you a, are you a Christian? And then ask them to name the, the three persons of the Holy Trinity. And I would guess that most of them couldn't, um, ask, ask people if, um, if they believed that Jesus Christ is God. And most of them would say, no, most, most people who profess to be Christians at this point, who are just ethnically Christian, don't believe in the divinity of Christ. They just they just have no idea. And so, you know, I've, I've had I've, I think I've said this before on the podcast. I've had, you know, Catholics 
Novus Ordo Catholics send me the these angry raging emails saying, you know, you're so stupid, you claim to be Catholic. Jesus isn't God. Jesus is God's son. I'll never forget that email from that woman just raging and raging and raging at me. It was probably because I had discussed, you know, the fact that contraception is a mortal sin or something like that. And of course, that just enrages people these days. Um, but yeah, there are people like this. This guy, he he speculated in real estate. It looks like he flipped real estate. He was not poor. And it also looks like he wasn't broke either. Um, and I read something that he he regularly gambled a thousand dollars a hand on on poker that he would text his brother every once in a while. Hey, I just want a quarter million at the at the at, yeah, at, at the yeah. um, at, at the casino. He had real estate in Nevada, Texas, and Florida. Yeah, not he had two not airplanes broke by any means. Oh yeah, yeah, two airplanes. I mean, that's that's not trivial, folks. This guy had a this guy probably had a mid to high seven figure balance sheet, and it doesn't sound like he was in hawk. It sounds like he actually had some some financial heft to him, and so there there just doesn't seem to be any indication that he was in financial trouble. That there was there's just, it, it's weird. There's nothing like that. Um, and the point that that kind of speaks to, and another thing that people need to remember about something like this, don't, don't let it get lost in the fact that this guy, this was him committing suicide. Okay. There, there's no way, there's no way that he planned to get out of this alive Either the cops were going to take him out or as and they're unsure about it. But right now, it sounds like when the SWAT door, when the SWAT team got to his door and they were getting ready to um, I guess they they blew the doors open Um, right before they blew the doors open. He he took himself out. He committed suicide. So don't don't forget that. This is this man committing suicide. Why? Why in the world? He's got this little Filipina girlfriend. He doesn't seem to be in any sort of desperate financial straits. What what in the world was going on here? And I think that the the little Filipina yum yum that he was shacked up with. Um, boy, she's, she's, she's back in the Philippines. That would, I, I saw that she had been. Um... She had been found in the Philippines. Police had talked to her over there, and she's no longer a person of interest. Well, so I, I mean, I, I don't you, know what the you, full story on that is, but she, she is utterly key to understanding what in the hell was going on here. And she was living with him in the house north of Vegas in the in the retirement golf course patio home community. She was living in there with him, and I. There's been reportage that they, you know, obviously they they had a warrant. They went in and they inspected the house. It was basically an arsenal. They found explosives. I mean, there was all kinds of crap in there. Oh, she she has to have some sort of insight into what in the hell is going on here and and what this dude's mindset was. To be fair, um, though, finding an arsenal in a house in Nevada is not that unusual. Uh, no, but, you know, just the fact that this guy gave no indication of of any sort of engagement in in that world, you know, most of the time it's, 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 it's kind of a small community. And when you're going to the ranges and so forth, you're seen, you know, people, people 
we'll say, hey, oh, yeah, I've seen that guy. I know that guy. We see him at this event. We see him at that event. You know, you kind of travel in the same circles and you're doing the same thing. There's just n- nobody knows who this cat is, you know. It's really weird. And so um, the other person that they really need to find is his ex-wife. He was married apparently from 1980 to 1985. And if this woman is still alive, Okay, we need to know, was this guy a uh, psychologically abusive narcissist? Was he a sex pervert? I mean, these are really important questions to know. What what in the hell's going on? The and the Filipina, she needs to be she needs to be spilling her guts on all this. And it is germane and it is important to know were these people involved in kink sex and and all of these kinds of things, because that informs as to the possibility of psychopathy, et cetera, et cetera. This the the cops, it isn't just, okay, she was in the Philippines. Sorry to bother you. I in fact it's it's almost certain that that's not the full story of what's going on here. There's no way that they're just going to say, oh, okay, you were out of town at the time. You clearly have no involvement in this. Well, even if she's not involved in terms of, you know, actively aiding and abetting him in this, she she is the only person pretty much, it seems like, who can give any testimony to what this guy's psychological state was and, you know, how he spent his time and what he was doing. Again, by the reportage, what it sounds like is that these people were, were gamblers. Um, you can call them addicts, I suppose, if you just sit around and do that and play stupid video video poker 10 hours a day. I would call that an addiction. But it what it sounds like is these people just gambled. They either gambled online or they went down to Vegas and they would stay in hotels. He was obviously a high roller. He got into this suite, this corner suite, as it was on the 32nd floor of Mandalay Bay. Um, you know, she needs to be de- describing in detail what the day-to-day life was like. And so whether or not there was evidence of any mental problems. I mean, one of my, one I, of the first thoughts I, I went to when I, when I saw the news about this is, was he a, did he have problems with, with mental health and did he recently yeah. go off antidepressants? And so yeah, to me, one of, the, yeah. one of the things that, that, um, I, I wondered about immediately and, and I, I, I caught on to is when, when, uh, the, the reporting came out that he was a private pilot. Okay. He got his pilot license in 2002, 2003, something like that. Well, part of that is you have to do an annual physical and that does include a psychological profile. 2008 mm. was the la- would have been the last time he renewed, except he didn't. So there, there is a period oh. of time there where maybe he, maybe he didn't because he lost interest. Uh, maybe he couldn't pass it. Who knows? That's and that's yeah. not something the FAA is going to release. Uh, on the topic of people just being irreligious, uh, something I'll, I'll I'll put a link to this in the show notes. But uh, Mirari Vos, it's the um, encyclical by Gregory the Sixteenth on liberalism and re- religious indifferentism. This is uh, mm-hmm. not a good thing. And I, I want to. I don't remember exactly because I'm I, I'm not going to read the whole thing right now while we're doing the recording. But I'm I want to say that America was was named either directly or indirectly in this podcast because that's one of our marks is we tend to not really care about religion. Absolutely. Certainly. Um, and that's all linked back into the Constitution. And, you know, we're, we were all taught in school to pride ourselves as Americans on our essentially religious indifferentism. And I think that the American culture is, you know, broke the ground and is has essentially provided the global leadership, especially in the post-Christian West of um 
you know, having a culture in which the church is something that just really is far off to the side. And with with the passage of time over the course, especially of the last hundred years, just getting further and further and further away off into the off into the margins, off into the weeds until it's now gotten to the point where, you know, you can you can live your entire life in the United States as a middle class person and never, ever have any engagement whatsoever with with the church, with religion at all. It, it can all be completely avoided. Whereas in the healthy, you know, kind of the old European cultures and so forth, I mean, it, it was just so intrinsic. It was, it, it just surrounded everyone. The church was just everywhere. Everything w- was was pointing to, you couldn't walk down the street. You walk from one block to the next. And, you know, there's an image of the Blessed Virgin and the infant Jesus. And there's an image of of our Lord. And there's an image of this saint. And there's an image of that saint. You were just constantly saturated and surrounded with all this. It is this hyper-secular culture of the United States that, that allows for people to go through life and to not have any religious thought whatsoever. And, you know, if these guys, if these people like Paddock and and Mary Lou, what's her name, if they just have this life where they're just gambling, just gambling all day, every day, you know, sleep all day, up all night, gambling online, going and sitting in casinos, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, I mean, it's it's very possible that there's just zero religious anything. There's and there's no indication of that. Now, you know, time will tell and they'll they'll get into his house and they'll search his house and and they'll see if there's anything in there. But at this point, if he had been hanging around any sort of uh, any sort of group or anything like that, you know, someone would have would have been jumping up and down and screaming, saying, "Yeah, I know that guy. We saw that guy at this and such, or we saw him over there." And boy, it just doesn't sound like there's anything like that. And the fact um, that he did a lot of online um, video poker and online gambling. That's you've got the tools and the opportunity here to reach out and associate with any number of let, let's be honest weird and, and and crazy groups. Yeah, I'm. I would be interested to find out what the analysis of, of his uh, internet traffic was, and if it was simply downloading uh, the browser extensions or plugins for video poker and then doing that and nothing but that. That would be even more weird. Yeah, I and I think we also have to be realistic and think that there's probably some engagement with porn and the porn culture. So it will be very interesting to see what all is happening there. And, um, you know, again, what the Filipina has to say about all of that. Um, the other thing that came out is that his, his father was the psychopath bank robber who, who ended up on the FBI's most wanted list in the 1960s, um, bank robber, and then escaped and lived on the lamb hiding in Oregon for years and years. And I think was eventually recaptured in 1970, but was absolutely categorized as a psychopath. Okay. You know, given, given my work on diabolical narcissism of which psychopathy is the most uh, severe form. Okay. This guy's dad is a psychopath, although it sounds like the dad was out of the picture when, when these children were relatively small, but I don't know. 
Was he abused by his psychopath father? Did the psychopath father pass the diabolical narcissism? You know, we talked about how those dynamics are all vampiric. Um, did the father pass the diabolical narcissism and psychopathy to the son? But then it, the thing that just ke- I keep coming back to is that if this guy was a full-blown psychopath, he would have, it seems to me that there would have been some manifestation. I mean, that's one of the, that's one of the key traits of the diabolical narcissist and the psychopath is they tend to not keep for themselves. They tend to get their rush and their excitement from, you know, being out and, and being a fraud and, and hunting and stalking people and hurting people and using charm and wit and so forth to deceive. And you can't do that when you're, you know, basically hiding in your house, um, playing video poker all the time. It just, the the two things just kind of, kind of don't mesh together. But again, it's early days. Time will tell. Um, And I I guess, you know, just finishing up is what I put in the post uh, yesterday is that I I just can't, my mind just keeps coming back to the possibility that this is a genuinely preternatural dynamic, meaning that there was some kind of demonic oppression or possibly even possession, um, but probably a severe oppression and it's it's time that serious intelligent people start talking about these dynamics because they're real they're completely totally real you can't be you can't be a catholic and deny that any of these things are real these things are real our lord and savior jesus christ in the gospels over and over and over again testifies in no uncertain terms explicitly to the reality of angels and demons. Um, and so for, for us to deny this is it's, I mean, you're, you're just denying, you're denying the Catholic faith because if you deny that these things are real, then Christ was either mistaken or lying. And if he was either mistaken or lying, then he's not God. And if he's not God, then we're not saved and at that point, you know, just throw in the towel and, you know, go to Switzerland and, and have yourself euthanized, I guess. That's that's kind of the logical progression that all of that leads to. Um, so it, it, we do need to acknowledge the possibility of this person just seemingly in a pretty short period of time. And by that, I mean... You know, that could mean even as much as months or something like that. It obviously took him a while to plan this, to, you know, get these these fully automatic weapons, which is not easy to do. Actually, no, um, it's it's pretty easy. If you've got an AR or an AK, yeah, it, it, there are plenty of websites well, out there. Well, they found bump fire. If, it's bump, if it was all bump fire, I guess, yeah, that's that's pretty easy, but... I, I don't know. I, I don't I don't I don't know if I'd categorize it as easy, would you? Uh, it just takes a metal file in about ten minutes if you know what to uh, file down. <laughs> I mean it, it's 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 not that it's not that difficult to do. There are plenty of, of uh, instruction sites online to do it, but it's a ten year automatic felony. You're going to jail if you do it. I mean it's stupid to do it. 
automatic weapons are not um, the way to even conduct war. I mean, when, when you look at the military no. units who, who have the ability to fire on full auto, the only time they do that is, is when they're just spraying bullets for, uh, for cover fire to get out of someplace. It's very, That's exactly it, it's, right. It's the exception to, to fire anything on full automatic. Uh, if you intend to hit something um, with any kind of accuracy, and, and the guns for, for doing that are specifically designed to be stabilized when when they when they fire on full auto, so the so the idea that he's he's firing a full auto is just it's a general area shot at that point. He's not being yeah. specific on anything, so it's it's a well, great it's a great way to terrorize and, and cause terror, which apparently happened, but. Yep, I guess yep. it's, what we're saying is a really long way of saying that there's tons of conspiracy theories. The the uh, Islamic State wants to claim credit for this, like they'll cl- try to claim credit for Hillary and, and Trump if they could. But mm-hmm. ultimately, this is one person who decided to snap and commit suicide by by a SWAT team while taking out a whole bunch of people in the process. Mm-hmm. Um, and as you wrote, he's... I guess I guess the good side of this, all he was is able to do is, is is damage the bodies of people. He couldn't touch their souls. Exactly, exactly. And you know, I wrote in the context of what was it, day four of our novena for um, the Father Martin the priest, the, the priest Father Martin Society of Jesus, who is you know going out and actively encouraging, ratifying telling people to commit sodomy, telling people that chastity is not required, telling people that they should ape the sacrament of marriage in terms of uh, in terms of their perverse disgusting sodomitical sex lives and call that marriage. I mean M- Martin is going after people's eternal souls, okay? What Paddock did what he did and what anyone, I mean, I could walk out my front door today when it's time for me to go to mass and something similar could happen. There could be a shooter, there could be a bomb, there could be, you know, there's all kinds of ways. Oh, someone in a, the new, the new uh, trendy thing for ISIS and all that is to get some sort of a great big truck and just go plowing down some, some street, plow down some uh, boulevard or sidewalk at 85 miles an hour in a huge truck and just kill as many people as you can that way. That could happen to me or any of us at any time. Hell, I could even be, I could be personally individually kidnapped. I could be tortured, raped, and then executed or raped to death or something like that. If you think about that in a weird way, um, when when murderers and terrorists do things like that, they're not, in a sense, engaging your immortal soul. They're killing your body. Um, and, you know, the point with torture is basically just just uh, delivering a, a perverse and oftentimes sexual satisfaction to themselves in torturing another human being. Um, but again, that nothing, if anything like that happens that really isn't going to have any bearing on my relationship with Christ. And especially because I'm a person I think, I hope that a lot of you out there listening by now have also done what I've been doing for years. And that is to mentally prepare for what if something like that happens, prepare for death, prepare for a very quick death in which, you know, like, for example, the people who got shot in Las Vegas, you get shot, you get hit, like, let's say in the femoral artery, you do have um, consciousness for 
seconds to maybe even a few minutes, but you're bleeding out. And it's, it's probably, it was probably clear to some of those people in a span of seconds to a couple of minutes that they were going to die, that they were bleeding out and they were going to die. Okay, you have to have the mental discipline and the clarity to, at that point, turn your thoughts to Christ Make sure that you tell him that you love him, that you're sorry for your sins, that you want to be with him in heaven. You don't want to go to hell, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Paddock can't can't affect you in that way. He can affect your body such that your body dies either instantaneously or um, within a matter of a few minutes as some of those people died. Uh, but he's not he's not doing anything that's going to make you lose your faith, you know, hate Jesus, da 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 da. He's not doing anything even to incite you to commit a mortal sin. I mean, a person who's lying there bleeding out of their femoral artery probably isn't going to you know actively commit some sort of a mortal sin. What James Martin is doing. Every single time he goes on the internet, every single time he goes on Facebook, Twitter, television, this damn book that he's got, whatever it is, what what he's doing is he's going after people's souls, okay? He is driving people into hell for all eternity. So think of James Martin, and this is a really good image, think of him as Paddock up in the 32nd floor on the east corner of the Mandalay Bay. Windows broken out. He's looking down onto that group of 30 to 40,000 people down below him at that concert. And he's got his full auto. Except when he's spraying that crowd, James Martin isn't killing bodies. He's killing souls. And then understand that the 58 so far that Paddock has killed and the 500 and some so far that Paddock has wounded, that compared to James Martin, Paddock is a piker. Paddock is a piker in terms of numbers. Hell, every time, every time that wretch James Martin goes on his Facebook, how many Facebook friends does he have? How many people see that crap that he's putting on his on his Facebook page? How many people see his crap on Twitter? I just heard, I don't know if this is true or not, but I've had a couple people email and say that James Martin has been asked to now be um, a peer on EWTN regularly. Uh, every time, every time. That soul-murdering SOB goes on television and spreads his filth, ratifying sodomy, telling people it's okay to commit sodomy. He's murdering people's souls. And, and I mean, you know, James Martin could go, on, could go on Facebook and in a matter of a few minutes, 10 minutes, just like Paddock, in 10 minutes, he could go on Facebook and he could murder the souls of orders of magnitude, orders of magnitude, more souls than James Paddock killed the bodies of. So, um, or Stephen Paddock, excuse me, Stephen Paddock killed the killed the bodies of. So, I don't know. I think a lot of people might have saw, might have seen that post that I made, and saying, you know. And you're so insensitive. How can you? How can you uh, make light of this? I mean, these people are dead, and um, 
their families will never see them again. They're never coming home. They're, a lot of these people were young people who were, who were cut down. Yes, absolutely. And what J- uh, Stephen Paddock did, the, the, Vegas, the Vegas murderer, he, what he did is he deprived these people of time. Um, if any of them were, and let's be honest, folks, it was Las Vegas. Um, I've been to Las Vegas as a tourist, I think two or three times, like back in the early 2000s. And I, I resolved that I would never go on the Las Vegas Strip again. In fact, I, all the times since when I've gone to Front, front Site, um, the firearms training school out there, I would stay in town, but not on the strip. I would stay way off the strip and I will never go back on the Las Vegas strip. There is no reason for, for a good Christian person. Uh, I say this without any hesitation. There is no reason for a good Christian person to be on the Las Vegas strip, period. There's nothing good, wholesome, edifying, nothing. There's nothing good there. You don't need to be there. And, you know, it was a country music concert, granted. And, oh, by the way, we should also mention that it was reported that um, that Paddock actually was a fan of country music. And he would go, I think the brother, I think the brother said that he liked country music and he would go to these country music festival concerts like this. So that's that's just another thing that's weird and doesn't add up. But why, if he was, you know, if he was... You know, part if he appreciated the country music music aesthetic, why it would be that he was he would do this to basically his own quote unquote. But uh, again, just another thing about this that doesn't make any sense. But um, where was I? What was I talking about? Well, one of the things you were saying is that people were getting upset that you'd say something so insensitive. And one response to that is Anne's not saying this. She's quoting somebody else who said, fear ye not him who kills the body and are not yep. able to kill the soul, but rather fear him who can destroy both the soul and the body in hell. That would be the words of Jesus in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 10. That's right. And so, yes, James Martin, S.J., the priest, not tri- not trying to trivialize the fact that all of these people are dead, but James Martin, the priest, if you believe the Catholic faith and you have any sort of orientation in terms of other human beings about about what what is the end of a human being, that that's another thing about about anti pope Bergoglio is everything with him is complete and total materialism. Everything about the human person is is limited and wholly defined by the material realm. Is someone rich? Is someone poor? Blah blah blah. You know, or refugee. Blah blah blah. All of this. There is no mention ever ever from Bergoglio of the true end of every human being. And that is either in heaven, in inside of God, achieving the beatific vision and literally dwelling inside of God for all eternity, which is what every single person is made to do, or people freely choosing to reject that. And instead, people freely choosing to spend all of eternity in hell. That's the end game here. And if, if you are looking at anything other than that as the end game, then you're not, you're not addressing and viewing the world in a Catholic way. And if you're not addressing the world in a Catholic way, 
you're missing so much and you're going to end up basically in a in a materialist marxist or on certainly on the other side a a americanist capitalist where everything you know obviously is defined by whether or not you have granite countertops and whether or not you have you know a 2018 lexus sitting in the in the driveway that sort of thing material everything is defined by the material and so even even now there are lots of even traditional leaning catholics who when i say something like martin is way worse in terms of the damage that he's doing than than paddock even now there are people who blanch at that and say and you can't say that because these people's you know these people's 21 22 year old kids were just mowed down in the prime of their life yes that's right but if they died in a state of grace, if they died in the church, if they died confessed of all mortal sin, then we have the consolation of knowing that probably because almost everybody goes to purgatory who, who successfully makes it through their, their particular judgment after a period of time in purgatory to detach them from, from all remaining attachment to sin, th- they will achieve the beatific vision. And so we can, we can process that the, the end for them might be the greatest possible end, even though they were killed by a mass murderer um, in the prime of their life, even in their youth. Um, what Martin is doing is is taking human beings and and consigning them in order to feed his own diabolical, narcissistic need for um, what they called narcissistic supply. Um, he, Martin is deriving narcissistic satisfaction off of the fact that he is driving human beings into hell. Uh, it makes him feel powerful. It makes him feel elite. And it, it might even, and with Jesuits especially, this is quite common, um, many Jesuits and many of these, these horrific, horrific clergy in the church today and prelates, they believe in God, they hate him, and they're at war with him. And so just exactly like demons, if they can drive people into hell for all eternity, it makes them feel like that they are more powerful than God. They're hurting God in a sense. And that's what James Martin is doing. So no, I I will not back off of what I said. And I will not back off of that rhetoric at all. Um, I'm not the kind of person who backs off anything I say. If I, if I say it, I mean it. And I'm not going to walk it back. Um, in fact, if you if you want to come at me and you want to you want to try to attempt to shame me or try to try to attempt to get me to to walk back or or mitigate or reduce what I've said in any way about things like um, in in a normal sane world in which Jesus Christ was was sovereign king. Martin, Father James Martin, what he's doing would be a capital crime. It would be a capital offense. Um, and b- because of the reasons that we've just been discussing for the last several minutes, because the gravity and the consequence of the damage that he's doing to human souls is is more than someone who just kills a body. Um, and so uh, circling back to where I was going before, if I were to be kidnapped, tortured, raped, it it wouldn't it probably wouldn't do anything to have any effect on on my love of Christ. And I would just 
see it as, as this is maybe maybe even it's it's always been God's will that I die a horrible martyr's death. I mean, I certainly certainly don't want to, but if it comes to that, I'll trust that it serves some greater good. And while I'm suffering in my death, I, I'll offer it up to him and I'll unite it to his passion and death on the cross. If it comes to that, mentally prepared. There's nothing There's nothing that Paddock or some musloid can do, really, to get to, to take you away from Christ. That has, a, has to be a, a choice that you make. And that's what Martin is doing. He's, he's just ratifying, encouraging, trying to convince people to make that choice to hate God. Make that choice to go to hell for all eternity in, in, in unspeakable torment and agony for all eternity and freely choose that. That's, that's what Martin's doing. So, so if, if, if the situation were more sane— Father Martin would be getting the same treatment that Jan Hus received, and I'll let you uh, Google that one if you've never heard of him before, J-A-N-H-U-S. Um, and, and, and the idea being here is that if you cannot um, correct somebody who's, who's uh, teaching error like this, then the logical, um, the logical result has to be when you're teaching error like this, you have to pay with your life because you are threatening the eternal lives of every, everyone yes. to whom you're speaking. And see, we've been we've been propagandized and brainwashed into believing that that the notion of having um, civil protections and law enforcement actions against people who are doing harm to people's souls because the American culture was established to be secular. It, it almost holds as its own religion, its own secular nature. It's Freemasonic. Come on. That's what it is. We've been taught that um, for, for the civic body to have any sort of law enforcement action against someone who's doing spiritual damage, who's doing damage to souls and driving people into hell is quote unquote medieval. And you know, you, you, you're seeing this now. Um, we're being called medieval. Would that it were, I'd, I'd, I'd love to see what I'd love to live life in medieval times when, you know, every church was being the Holy sacrifice of the mass was offered at every altar at every church all morning, every morning. And, you know, the divine office was being prayed in churches all over the city all day, every day. I mean, what, what a world, you know, I, I would love to see a world like that. Um, but, but we're being called medieval and so forth precisely because we do realize what the, the true end of man is, and that is heaven or hell forever. And that, the civic body should be willing to take steps to um, to protect the citizenry from people like James Martin in a in a law enforcement context, which could include imprisonment and which could which could include execution too. Yeah, I mean, what James Martin? If that's not a capital offense, then nothing nothing is. And short of the civil authorities getting involved in that, what we can do is pray. And today is the fifth day of the novena for the conversion of James Martin, uh, that he may be spiritually corrected. And uh, on the topic of correction, there was something else that came. I'm certain there was something in the news about correction. Can you remember anything about that, Ian? <laughs> Just barely. It seems like a long time ago now, doesn't it? Yeah. So this this group got together of, of mostly um, lay scholars 
Um, and the, I think the only bishop to sign it was Bishop Fillet of the SSPX. Um, and at immediately least, at after, least initially, uh, there were initially, there, yeah, there, yeah, one of the retired uh, bishops, I want to say of Corpus Christi, Texas said, add my name yes. to the list. Yes. Um, and he did that like within 24 hours. Um, but mostly a group of what was it? 62 initial signatories. And now it's up to 200 and some, um, you know, they, they write this, um, filial correction and it, just very quickly, I'm sure a lot of the, I'm sure most of the trad Catholics who are out there listening, you're, you're already familiar. You know, they, they basically said they, they called him out for heresy, for, for spreading heresy, promulgating heresy, et cetera, et cetera. Um, they specifically went after the modernism and the Lutheranism. That's great. That's fantastic. Um, and also I just want to preface this by saying that, um, just people doing anything. I, I, I rail and rail and rail again about, um, effeminacy, the vice of effeminacy and the lack of virility, which is the virtue that's counter to the vice of effeminacy. And nobody does anything. Nobody does anything. Okay. I, I, I'll say right off the top. I'm glad that people did something and I'm glad they called out the modernism and I'm glad that they called out the Lutheranism and I'm glad that the language was actually as strong as it was. When I read the document, I was very pleased at how strong the document was. However, however, everyone here knows my position. This document is based on a false premise. And of course, that false premise is that Bergoglio is the Pope and he's not. And so I keep screaming, jumping up and down. You cannot, you're not going to resolve this. This not cannot be undone. You are not going to escape from this maze. You're going to keep turning and banging into dead end walls. So long as your base premise is false. The only way out of this is a true base premise. Bergoglio is not the Pope. Okay, let's stop and think about this. This man has now been formally accused of heresy. He is a heretic. There is no doubt, debate, question, none. There is no debate about this. And anyone who tries to say, well, you know, it's a nuanced position, and I'm sure he's just poorly advised at this point, at this point, and I will say this, and I know some of these people personally, and I, I, I personally like some of them, um, they're, they're fun to talk to, but if they were sitting right here across the table from me right now, I would look them square in the eye and I would say exactly this. At this point, for you to say that Bergoglio is not a heretic is a lie. You are lying and you know you're lying. This is mendacity. And you are lying for whatever reason, if it's to protect your career, if it's to protect your pension, if it's to protect your social connections, if it's to protect, you know, your job, blah, blah, if it's to protect from getting people to make frowny faces on your Facebook page, whatever the hell it is, you're lying and you're lying for a self-serving agenda, period. The Bergoglio is a heretic. Now, he's been publicly accused of being a heretic. What is now going to happen from here forward? If this false premise, if this lie that Bergoglio is the Pope keeps going forward, then what this situation shows to the world is that 
our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, promise to protect with this, this negative protection through the Holy Spirit of papal infallibility. If, if our Lord's promise means that the Pope can be an arch heretic as he has now been publicly accused of being, then our Lord's promises aren't worth anything. And if his promises aren't worth anything, then he's not God. And if he's not God, then his death on the cross really isn't, is of no consequence. If his death on the cross is of no consequence, then we aren't saved. And if we aren't saved, then we might as well just all go to Switzerland and commit, and commit euthanasia. And, and that is the logical progression that this goes down, okay? The, the single greatest act of violence that can be done against the papacy, and it just, it infuriates me because a lot of these people and all these people on the trad right, they keep, they keep pushing this, this mendacious premise that Bergoglio is the Pope in order to protect their own personal interests. And they, they cover for themselves by saying, I love the papacy. I love the papacy. I love the papacy. I, I beg to differ. The greatest act of violence that can be done against the See of Peter is to call a man who is not the Pope, the Pope. And before, I mean, let, let's talk about, let, we always go back to the example of um, St. Vincent Ferrer who backed mistakenly an anti-pope. St. Catherine of Siena, of course, she backed the true pope. She, she knew who the true pope was, and she backed the true pope. And St. Vincent Ferrer mistakenly backed the wrong man. Now, remember, this was a purely political dynamic. St. Vincent Ferrer was not backing some arch heretic piece of crap like Bergoglio. Okay. That's not what was going on. And in fact, I think I've said this before, but it bears mentioning again, St. Vincent Ferrer, while he was backing the wrong man, mistakenly, while he was backing the anti-pope, mistakenly, was so holy and was such a good man that he continued to perform miracles while he was backing the anti-pope. Okay. That's not what this is. You can't say, I love the Pope. I love the papacy. And then basically what these people are doing is they are participating in the, in the complete destruction of the papacy itself. Because if the Pope can be an arch heretic, which Bergoglio is, if the Pope can be an arch heretic, then the papacy means nothing. It has no meaning. And we, I mean, if you want to, we can just leave it at that. And we don't even have to go to the logical corollary about the divinity of Christ. I mean, obviously it leads there, but if you want to just, if you, if you just want to leave it at that, if the Pope can be an arch heretic, which now you all, many of you have signed your names and I know you, and I see your names on that document. If the Pope can be an arch heretic, then the papacy means nothing. And so as much as I agree with everything that's said about, you know, Bergoglio's modernism, Bergoglio's Lutheranism, 
all of this stuff. Yeah, I agree with that totally. Well done. You have to you have to be able to pull back the focus and say, what is the logical corollary of this? What's the big game here? What what is Satan playing at? Well, he as I've written and spoken about before, he's got he's got the the chessboard in in check, okay? Either you, you have Bergoglio himself destroying the papacy and destroying, destroying the institutional church himself from within. And then on the other side, if you try to move, Satan has the chessboard set so that now you've got traditional believing Catholics who are working off the false premise that Bergoglio is in fact the pope now also destroying the papacy because they're saying he's the pope but he's a heretic but it doesn't matter and well i guess the papacy never mattered and i don't know maybe vatican one is wrong etc 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 and so you've got actually both sides are are attacking the white king the white players are attacking the white king and then they claim oh we're doing it because we love the pope so much no First of all, you're not manifesting a love for the the office of the papacy because you're participating in its in its destruction and its complete discrediting by calling a man who isn't the pope the pope, calling a, a heretic, an arch heretic the pope and saying, "Oh, that doesn't matter." You also do not love in any genuine sense the man Bergoglio, and we've talked about this before. If you love Bergoglio, then what has to happen is that he he has to be removed. He has to repent of all of this. Again, just talking about him personally, Jorge Mario Bergoglio. He has to be removed. He has to repent completely of everything that he's done. He has to revert to Catholicism. He has to make a good confession, eventually die in the state of grace, and eventually, after a very long purgation, one would, one would assume, achieve the beatific vision. If you genuinely love Bergoglio, how can he achieve the beatific vision if you keep ratifying him in this lie? If you keep, if you keep telling him that, well, oh, Holy Father, you don't have anything. You're, you're the Holy Father. You don't have anything to be sorry for. The problem is all of these people who are misinterpreting. No, 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 no. W- what is on Bergoglio's soul right now is, uh, I mean, it, it, it's just, it's terrifying to think about the sin that is on Bergoglio's soul right now. And it's not doing him a damn bit of good. Not a damn bit of good to continue in this false premise, to continue in this lie. The best hope this guy has is if the truth is stated, he's not the Pope, this is an anti-Pope, this is an anti-Papacy, the whole thing is null. The whole thing is null. Remove him. He should, again, talking about a world in which Jesus Christ is a sovereign king and, and men fear Christ, Bergoglio should be laicized and should be quasi-imprisoned in a monastery and forced to pray the office every day until he dies. But he, he should also probably be laicized because he, he is a clear and present danger to souls. Um, so, I, I mean, this 
and, and I know some of these people, I've conversed with them face to face and, you know, y- you go to lunch or dinner with them and once the, the second bottle of wine gets uncorked and people start being a little bit less inhibited and the conversation starts to flow a little bit, a, a little bit more freely, um, these people do not love the Holy Father. Uh, they, they refer to him in names, which, which I would use freely because I don't believe he's the Pope. He's not the Holy Father. And at, remember, as much of I, as I've said over and over again that Ratzinger is the worst Pope ever for what he's done. I mean, it, it's, it's the weirdest thing. You still feel tremendous affection for him. You're still rooting for him. Yes, Ratzinger was one of the fathers of the council. He was very influential in the council. Um, and he, he has done this. It was his cowardice. No one, he, he didn't have to do this, this fake quasi-resignation, run and hide. I'm going to bifurcate the papacy. He, he, and even when he said, I, I don't remember who he said it to, Superner, did he say it to Archbishop Fillet when he pointed at the door and said, my authority ends right there? I, I don't ever recall hear, hearing him say that. I think, yeah, he said that to somebody, and I think it might have been, uh, I don't know if it was, was Filet. He, was oh, don't quote me that, on that. Was he meaning that literally, or was that a reference to the Secretary of State having more effective authority in Rome than the Pope? Well, yeah, exactly. That's the point he was making, and that's false, because he's the vicar of Christ on earth. And if he ever wanted to do anything, if he ever wanted to fire anybody— all he had to do was call a press conference. If he was being coerced, all he has to do is call a press conference. I just keep saying this over and over again. One press conference. And in fact, that could be done to um, Ratzinger could end the Bergolian anti-papacy today by calling a press conference and just and just say outright, um, I, I've made a I've made a horrible, horrible mistake. I tried to bifurcate the papacy. Um, I, I still have and all along consider myself to be uh, a, 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 a participant in the Petrine office. And I tried to weasel my way out of it. And I've made a horrible, horrible mistake. Is it fear that keeps him from doing this? Is it pride? It's probably more pride than fear, to be honest. I mean, I mean, the the capacity for men to admit that they're wrong in this world is just nil at this point. Or could it be um, a Hegelian philosophy that he's coming up with a new synthesis of what things are? Yeah, that too, that too. But then he'd have to admit that he was wrong. You know, he'd have to admit that his entire worldview for his entire theological career has been wrong. And it has the, the, the Hegelian synthesis and his metaphysics of meaning versus being, I mean, it's, it's, it's twisted. And he, he had, let's talk about Ratzinger now. Do you love the Holy father? Yes. It's, it's weird as, as awful and as terrible as he is. I still feel in my person a, a warmth, a, a, a charitable warmth. And, you know, obviously feelings are, are not worth much. But in this case, I do find it informative that I still do feel an, an affection toward this man. And I don't sit around, even after the second bottle of wine has been opened, I don't sit around and call Ratzinger the kind of names or make the kind of references to him that I make to Bergoglio. And I don't because Ratzinger, in fact, is the Holy Father. 
He is the vicar of Christ on earth. And Bergoglio isn't. Bergoglio is not only an anti-pope, but, you know, as, I, as I've said many, many times, and the way things are going, it's getting harder and harder to deny this. Looks like the false prophet forerunner of the Antichrist. So how, how could I not say this is a this is a wretch, this is a filthy man. You have to you have to get away from him as much as you can. Um, obviously, Ratzinger um, is problematic, deeply, deeply, deeply problematic. But he still has you know the grace of state, the grace of the office, and so. I mean, I'm ro- I'm rooting for Bergoglio, and Bergoglio is the only person I I make the full the full petition for every single day, um, and sometimes multiple times per day every day. Um, but I I don't feel any I don't feel any personal affection towards Bergoglio at all. Zippo, and again, feelings aren't worth much, but there it is. So now, just real quick, I want to call people's attention, kind of echoing what we've just been talking about, first to a piece that appeared in LifeSite News last week by Diane Montagna, who um, apparently went down to Chile and interviewed one of the the head writers of the um, filial correction, Professor Claudio Pierantoni. And there's a really interesting quote in here from Professor Pierantoni. Diane Montagna asks, It has been suggested that the correction might tear down the papacy, that the devil could be using this as a trick. And Professor Pierantoni replies, On the contrary, I think that in this enterprise that the Pope and his counselors have undertaken with Amoris Laetitia really lies the really lies the trick to tear down the papacy. And speaking now, this is this is exactly what I'm saying. Returning now to Professor Pierre Antoni, the papacy came out immensely discredited after Amoris Laetitiae. I have no doubts in saying that it is by far the worst document that has ever come out with a papal signature <clears throat> in the whole history of the church. This explains why many people have now seriously started to doubt if Francis is really the Pope. Thank you. Many people who rightly think the Pope must be the defender of the tradition thought, well, this can't be the Pope. It has also led some people to doubt papal infallibility or the meaning of the papacy, what we were just discussing. My friend, Professor Joseph Seifert, was also accused by his archbishop in Granada of discrediting the papacy by pointing to one of the biggest problems in Amoris Laetitiae. But who is really discrediting the papacy? So that that's exactly it right there. You know, to not call this out of course you have to call it out, but you're just going to keep punching yourself in the face. And this violence to the papacy and the violence to the church is going to continue so long as the false premise persists. Bergoglio isn't the Pope. Bergoglio isn't the Pope. And now one last thing that I want to mention, and Super Nerd and I will put um, will put links to both of these pieces if you haven't read them already in the show notes. Is Ed Penton did an interview with Cardinal Mueller, who was the guy who was just recently fired by Bergoglio from the CDF, the Congregation for the Doctrine of the Faith. And so, deep down in this interview, towards the end. 
Kenton asked Cardinal Mueller, they had been talking about kind of careerism and opportunism among the Roman Curia. And Penton asked Cardinal Mueller, does such opportunism disturb you? And Mueller replies, the Holy Father, <clears throat> in his second Christmas speech to the Roman Curia, to the cardinals, spoke of the 15 illnesses of the Curia very generally. Many of the participants felt offended because the press spoke about Vatican officials as if they were all careerists and opportunists, looking around only for money and big apartments, etc. But one should not speak generally about present persons as if they were guilty or stupid. Careerists and opportunists should not be promoted, and other people who are competent collaborators not excluded without any reason or expelled from the Curia. It's not good. I heard it from some houses here that people working in the Curia are living in great fear. If they say one small or harmless critical word, some spies will pass the comments directly to the Holy Father, <clears throat> and the falsely accused people don't have any chance to defend themselves. These people who are speaking bad words and lies against other persons are disturbing and disrupting the good faith, the good name of others whom they are calling their brothers." The gospel and the words of Jesus are very strong against those who denounce their brothers and who are creating this bad atmosphere of suspicion. I've heard that nobody speaks. Everyone is a little afraid because they can be snitched on. It's not the behavior of adult people, but that of a boarding school. Penton then asks or says, one senior church figure speaking to me on condition of anonymity called it a, quote, reign of terror, unquote. Mueller responds, it's the same in some theological faculties. If anybody has any remarks or questions about Amoris Laetitiae, they will be expelled and so on. That is not maturity. A certain interpretation of the document's footnote 351 cannot be criteria for becoming a bishop. A future bishop must be a witness to the gospel, a successor of the apostles, and not only someone who repeats some words of a single pastoral document of the Pope <clears throat> without mature theological understanding. But but, I mean, focus honing in on what Penton said. Penton's, you know, statement question is, one senior church figure speaking to me on condition of anonymity called it a, quote, reign of terror. This speaks directly to the notion that Bergoglio is peacefully and unanimously acknowledged to be the pope. I've been saying this for a long time now. No, he isn't. No, he isn't. These words, reign of terror, everybody's afraid. Nobody wants to say anything. Now, granted, these, these people in the Curia, most of them are the scum of the known universe. Many, if not most of them, are sodomites and are blackmailable in their capacity as sodomites. Their careers, yes, they are chasing the big apartment. They are chasing the big apartment in the center of Rome. Absolutely, absolutely. But it, they're still afraid, okay? This guy is like Kim Jong-un. You can say that North Korea is peaceful because, you know, you walk down the, the streets in the center of Pyongyang and there's no there's no crime. You know, there's not people you know, holding up liquor stores or anything like that. There's no crime in the center of Pyongyang. So you say, well, uh, North Korea is peaceful. Well, no, North Korea is not peaceful because everyone lives in constant fear of their life. If you say 
anything against the government, you will be disappeared. You will be sent off to a concentration camp. You will be worked to death. Your family might be put into a concentration camp and executed. That's not peace. That's not peace. So you say, oh, everybody peacefully accepts that Bergoglio is the Pope of Rome. Um, No, if they're all living in fear, if they're all living in fear of him. And I, I have heard and been told that that questions about him and the word anti-pope have been floating around the curia for years now but the, the consensus is is that they are all careers and they are all afraid and they are all effeminate and they are all severely lacking in faith and they are all unwilling to take up their cross um and because of that the the near apparently near unanimous consensus is is that well we just have to wait for him to die that doesn't solve anything because then if if even in death if he is still not called an anti-pope then all of this crap that he's done and said the enemies of Christ in his church until God until Jesus Christ returns in glory everything that he has said and done will be used by the enemies of the church as a cudgel to beat the church with you have to acknowledge the truth he's not the pope nullify everything because it is all null and that's what people won't do but here we have the testimony reign of terror He's not peacefully universally accepted as the Pope. And I'm sorry, but it doesn't matter what a bunch of, uh, of stupid Novus Ordo American Catholics who have been on the pill their entire adult life, who are in favor of sodomite marriage, who only go to mass a few times a year, who haven't been to confession in decades. I'm sorry, but what these people think about whether or not Bergoglio is or is not the Pope is not germane. It's not germane. People who are that far outside of the church, and I'm sorry, sodomite marriage, are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? You are at that point so far outside the church that you, it's, it's just, it's absolutely irrational to say that anyone who could go along with sodomite marriage, much less someone who never goes to mass and hasn't been to confession in decades, can, can be a voice that, that is either ratifying or denying who is or who is not the Pope. I'm sorry, but th- their opinion does not count. And yes, if you want to quote me on that, go ahead. Their opinion does not count. Um, and you could say, well, Anne, neither, neither do these, these sodomites in the Curia. Well, for some of them, that might, that might actually be true. Um, but I can definitely say that you can't take any sort of an opinion of certainly American or even fallen away Western European Catholics and say, well, who's the Pope? And they'll say, oh, Pope Francis. They say that because he's telling them that their mortal sins aren't sins and that the worst that can possibly happen to them is that their soul will be annihilated. And he's telling them that they were essentially right to apostatize when they apostatize years and years ago. So, no, their opinion doesn't matter. It's, it's, it's the census fidelium. It's, it's the sense of the faithful. 
And God only knows how many there are. And I pray God that I'm one of them and that, and that I, that my voice actually, in a sense, does count. Man, I hope so. Um, I'm trying. Um, but um, yeah, that I think that it's really, really interesting to see these two citations and, and you know, Mueller coming out and explicitly saying, yeah, it is a reign of terror. So I don't know, super, super nerd, what do you think? It's a very confusing time, to say the least. And um I, I I would say that there's a third position as well. I mean, ob- obviously you are morally certain that um, Benedict is still the Pope. Uh, many people yes. believe that Francis is the Pope. I would put myself in a position where I think there's clearly something going on that 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 uh, needs to be corrected. I don't really know which one's the Pope, to be honest. Um, yeah. In, in my house, we pray for the Pope, but we don't yeah, attach exactly. a name to it because I can see the arguments both ways. And you made the comment earlier about my authority ends right there that, that Benedict made the comment mm-hmm. uh, that could very well have been to um, Bishop Filet. There, there were back channel um, negotiations going on with, between the Society of St. Pius X and uh, Benedict the 16th. They reached mm-hmm. an agreement and the Pope said, I will sign this agreement if it comes to me, but you need to submit it now through the uh, secretary of state within four months. Benedict is out as Pope. And yep. I'm I'm convinced that it's it's duress. I don't, and, and it could be that it could be that Benedict uh, intentionally loopholed it so that that uh, he he had a defective uh, resignation. I don't know. I, I I don't believe that we know the full story going going on, and it's clearly a mess any way you look at it, and it's clearly unprecedented too. We've never had a situation where two people claim the title Pope, even if one puts emeritus after after it. We've never had two bishops in white in Rome before. We've yep. never had somebody um, wearing white putting forth uh, a document with seven heretical positions in it, or being accused, I should say, of, of seven heretical positions. Mm-hmm. We have an absolute mess right now. And I, I, and I, let's hasten to point out that these heresies, um, people will point to uh, Pope John the Twenty Second and and things like that. Pope John the Twenty Second's point of heresy was that he was mistaken and confused about when um, when people would achieve the beatific vision. He thought that nobody, including the saved, would achieve the beatific vision until the very, very end and consummation of the world and, and the general judgment, and then everybody together all at once would be escorted into the beatific vision. And that's wrong. And in because, terms of errors, comparing it to the positions of heresy yeah, uh, of Bergoglio— yeah. That's peanuts. Exactly. As Professor Joseph Seifert said, what we're talking about here is the complete and total destruction of of Catholic morality. Complete and total destruction of Catholic morality. What, what John the 22nd and even, you know, Pope Honorius and all that stuff. I mean, the, the Arian heresy was bad because it, it <laughs> that's the understatement of the day. The Arian heresy was bad. It, it essentially denied the divinity of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Even that is, is not, it, it, it's not in the same, it's not in the same ballpark as this. What this is doing is just, it's utterly destroying all notions of morality, all notions of objective truth. Um, there's no objective moral order. Um, it's denying the immutability, the, the unchangingness of God. It, and they get in the document, uh, in the field of correction, they get into that. That's basically modernism. You know, modernism says that 
everything is in flux, everything is changing, including God, which is what which is how they try to just sleazily back into these these arguments that sodomy is not a sin now, but you know, oh, maybe hundreds and thousands of years ago it, it was considered a sin, but now it isn't anymore. Divorce and remarriage now isn't a sin. Go ahead. For somebody to say that is to deny that God is perfect. Uh, by very mm-hmm. definition of, of, of perfection, you cannot change your position. Otherwise, you're saying that there was a defect at some point in time. Right, exactly. And, and this is Freemasonry. It's denying that God is God, and it's trying to deify man, basically, and make the mind of man the deity. And, super nerd, I managed to find it. I pulled up the citation um, let's see, this is from Chris Ferrara on a piece that he had in The Remnant. Quote, I am reminded here of Bishop Fillet's revelation that during his audience with Pope Benedict at Castel Gandolfo in August of 2005, he pleaded with the Pope to take action to restore the church fully. You are the Pope, said Bishop Fillet in substance, when the two of them were left alone for a moment. But the Pope, pointing to the door of the room in which the audience took place, replied forlornly, my authority ends at that door. So you see, Ratzinger all along, he didn't, it's a lack of faith, you know, it's a lack of faith. He, he didn't believe that he, that he could rule as as the vicar of Christ and and it, he could have it would have been so easy and he still can one press conference one press conference it's a lack of faith on Ratzinger's part and that's just that's just awful or that's is what it, happens or is it a faith in collegiality that he really believes he does not have authority because it's the bishops who must uh, must accede to anything the pope says for it to actually be valid and that that's well, been a complaint about Vatican II since the late 60s, is that the, the whole notion of collegiality destroys the teaching authority and, and the, the temporal authority of the Pope. Exactly, exactly. Which is why, I think, didn't we cover this in the last podcast? Vatican II, it's a flaming dumpster fire that just needs to be needs to be completely thrown in the trash can, burned to ash, and just and never mentioned again. Yeah, true. But we're, I, don't, I don't think we covered the collegiality angle in, in much detail. No, we didn't. No, we didn't. But that, yes, just just another one of the stinking, festering fruits of Vatican II is all of that. Indeed. Well, looking at the old clock, I think I think we've made a podcast, don't you think? I think we made up for well, almost made up for missing last week. It's about an hour twenty minutes, yeah, almost. <laughs> and we'll try. We'll see. Um, I think we should be able to do. If you're around, we should be able to do another one later this week, Friday or Saturday. So. Okay, I will uh, double check the calendar and, and uh, email you, and and uh, we'll okay. we'll coordinate on that. But let's let's not s- let's not say a day particularly because the last co- t- couple times we said there will be a, a podcast on the next day, it didn't happen. So let's not jinx it. The best laid plans of mice and men. Yeah, yes, sir. Something like that. <laughs> if you have feedback for the for the podcast, you can send emails, questions, comments to podcast at barnhart.biz. This podcast is produced by Super Nerd Media. If you found value in this episode and would like to return some value, you can donate at the website supernerdmedia.com slash donate. I would like to specifically thank some recent donors, Dominic, Joseph, Eric, Carmela, Nora, and Susan, as well as Michael, who mailed in a check, cutting PayPal out of it. Thank you very much. A general reminder, Masses for Ann's benefactors are set on Mondays, Tuesdays, Wednesdays, and Thursdays, as well as a weekly requiem. Uh, which is timely for everyone who just died Indeed. in, in uh, Las Absolutely. Vegas. 
Um, and can I also mention quickly in terms of the benefactor masses, I think I'm going to post this on the web, on the website in writing, but I'll mention it here too. Just got the other day an email from the priest who offers the holy sacrifice for all of you guys, the benefactors and supporters on Mondays. So our Monday priest, and he has been deployed to Afghanistan. So please keep him in your prayers and know that not only is the venerable Gregorian rite being offered on the ground in Afghanistan, but it is being offered for you on the ground in Afghanistan. And that's that's kind of a humbling thing to think about. But keep our uh, all of our priests, obviously, but especially our Monday priest who is deployed in Afghanistan in your prayers. Yes. Uh, without without people like Father Monday, uh, we would never have uh, the, 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 the proper mass being said in, in Afghanistan. And who knows how many centuries it's been since that's happened. That's right. That's right. Uh, any other closing thoughts or considerations for this week? Just stay safe, everyone. Go to confession. Remember what happened in Vegas could happen to you. It could happen to you at any time. It could be a mass murderer. It could be a terrorist. It could be a natural disaster. Go to confession. If you're not in the church yet or you've been away, if, if you're in the church already and you've fallen away, remember all it takes is one confession, one confession, and you're back in. Just go tell Jesus you're really, really sorry that you haven't been going to mass for the last 40 years. And boom, it's it's taken care of. It's done. And you also need to confess all of your other mortal sins very generally that you've committed over the last 40 years, too. But understand how easy it is. Um, you know, I got someone uh, wagged their finger at me and said, you shouldn't say it's easy. But in a certain sense, it is. In a certain sense, it is. Go and, and, you know, don't be afraid of the priest. I mean, if, if you <laughs> priests have told me this all the time, it just they're walking on on air for days when they get the person who comes into the confessional, kneels down and says, bless me, Father, for I have sinned. It has been 42 years since my last confession. The, the priest is just walking on air for days days after something like that. And he's going to help you. He's going to help you through the confession, you know, to, you know, gently guide you towards the sins that most of us in the Western world are guilty of. Certainly people who have been adults in the last 40, 50 years, obviously, he's going to help you, you know. And then you get to the end of the confession and you say, for these and all other sins that have escaped my memory, I humbly ask pardon of God and penance and absolution of you, Father. So even if you don't remember absolutely everything and every mortal sin you've committed in the last 42 years, because that that would be quite a tall order, um, it, even the, the church provides a form where you can just say, and oh, Lord, if I've forgotten anything and if anything is lacking in this, please, please fill it in and please make it up for me. It's it's okay. You can do it. Go do it now. And who, I mean, who knows what's going to happen on the 13th of October? Who knows what's going to happen if we make it through the 13th of October with North Korea and all this, all this stuff going on? And as I mentioned, with regards to the shooter, there might be a preternatural involvement with the with the Las Vegas shooter. I don't think it's unreasonable to expect to see a significant uptick in preternatural activity, which would imply more senseless acts of murder, mayhem, and violence like this, which any of us could be the victim of at any time. 
stop messing around. Stop trying to tell yourself that you've got plenty of time. Stop telling yourself, oh, I'm only in my 40s. I'm only in my 50s. Eh, I can take care of this later. You know, tell that to those kids who went to that concert in Vegas. Tell them that they have their whole lives in front of them to take care of this. They only had a few minutes left in front of them. Get get yourself squared away. Stop messing around. Yeah, get and, get to confession if, if whether or not you need to. I, the, there there's a saying from a priest I remember is like go to confession when you don't have to, so that you don't have to go to confession. And, that's right. <laughs> and another practice that, that you um, that comes to mind if you're not used to it is is practice making an act of contrition and try to make a perfect act of contrition just at the drop of a hat. It reminds me of military training at any point in time. Uh, when we were on the boat, we may all of a sudden get a man overboard drill and you have exactly 60 seconds to do a certain sequence of things. Um, yeah. Give yourself uh, at any time. If you hear a car backfire, if you hear a door slam, whatever your stimulus you want to attach this to, just immediately go into active contrition mode. And what if what if you had just been shot through the torso at this point? And you've got 12 seconds left to live. Can yeah. you make that active contrition and mean it? And yeah, the, the, the essence of, of practicing this isn't to be mechanical and rote about it. It's to drill into your mind that many moral theologians have said you die the way you live. And if you don't practice for death, then how do you expect to get through it correctly? Exactly. And I just I just want to assure people the terminology perfect act of contrition. I think that scares a lot of people because they think, well, I, I can't do anything perfectly. What what a perfect act of contrition, what the perfect means is that you tell God that you're sorry for your sins because they hurt him, because they were an offense against him. An imperfect act of contrition, which God can work with, is I'm sorry for my sins, God, because I don't want to go to hell. Okay, the I don't want to go to hell part is the is called an imperfect act of contrition. A perfect act of contrition isn't that, you know, you become a completely perfect, completely, utterly detached from all sin human being in, you know, the the seven seconds that you're bleeding out into your abdomen after you've been shot. It means that it comes to your mind and you say it and you mean it, that you're sorry for all of your sins because they were an offense against God and they hurt God who is all good and and perfect beauty and truth and infinite love. And that's why you're sorry and that the going to hell part is actually secondary. So don't be don't be terrified by the thought of, oh, my gosh, I have to make a, a completely, totally perfect act of contrition in just a few seconds while I'm bleeding to death. Um, no, that that's not what it means. It just means I'm sorry that I hurt you because I love you. And if you have any questions about the formula, talk to a priest. Uh, yeah. They're there to help you prepare for death. And another good thing to follow up on once you make that, uh, per, you know, that practice, perf- well, practice, make, make it a real act of contrition, follow it up with the spiritual communion. And if you can develop that habit to the point that you can have that movement of soul at the, at the drop of a hat, that's going to be a good preparation for death. Yeah. I mean, you, you can die with Jesus with you. I mean, in, in, in your soul, Jesus, come to me, be with me as I die. And of course, if, as we're all, hopefully we're all praying the rosary. I mean, think about, think about the prayer of the rosary. Um, During this month of the rosary. During this month of the rosary, you're, you're begging with every Hail Mary for the Blessed Mother to pray for you at the hour of your death and for her to be there with you. I mean, so you've got, you got our Lord with you, you've got Our Lady with you. 
St. Joseph, you know, hopefully St. Joseph is there. Your guardian angel is certainly there. Think, think of all these people who could be there with you at the moment of your death, even if it comes on you just in, in an instantaneous flash, like it did for, for the poor people in Las Vegas. You can die well. You can die well in a situation like that. But you have to think about it and prepare. It's more likely to be a car crash than uh, a country concert. But um, keep in mind how many doctors the church have have, um, gone on at length about the uh, miraculous intercession of Mary through the rosary. And uh, I want to say it was uh, St. The the Marian Saint. The name will come to me in a minute. But. Uh, the 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 point being that where Mary is, the devil cannot be. So if you are a, a devoted client of Mary, praying the rosary, and she is there at, at your death, um, guess mm-hmm. who's not going to be there? Uh, right. So add that to your 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 preparation for death. Exactly. St. Louis de Montfort. Right. I knew it would come to me. St. Louis de Montfort. Yep, yep, yep. All right. And, of course, today is the feast of St. Teresa of the Child Jesus. Yes, yes, another, indeed. Another great saint to pray to. Okay. Yep. And don't for, did, don't forget the James Martin novena, guys. Don't forget the James Martin novena. Absolutely. Okay. Okay. We already did the wrap up. Um, see you next week. Or all right. Later, Thanks, or guys. <laughs> God bless. Take care. 